In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Influential voices, influential words. We, all of those scriptures could be categorized in that way. Isaiah 42, Psalm 89, as Wendell pointed out. Even Acts 10, where Peter went to Cornelius because Cornelius had a vision saying, call for this guy because he has a message for you. And it was transformational. And then, of course, the baptism scene in the gospel. Influential voices. I've been thinking about that some this week. Growing up, right, the most influential voices in my generation were Walter Cronkite, the Pope in my household, right, the president, a few others, uh, but seriously, many, many more, right? Parents were hugely influential voices. Uh, and for me, there was a man named Mr. Roberts, Coach Roberts. I had Mr. Roberts in eighth grade and in ninth grade. Uh, in ninth grade for math, I can't remember what class it was in eighth grade, uh, but I really liked it. I remember a paper I wrote for him. He could not be older than my youngest son at that time. Um, dark hair, nice beard, which wasn't all that popular back then. But he was also my basketball coach in ninth grade, so I had known him for over a year. I'd been playing basketball, started in eighth grade. There wasn't youth basketball back then. So I learned playing on the, in the driveways with my friends, practicing a lot. And um, made the team, thankfully. And Coach Roberts sat us down and asked all of us, all the boys, all whatever, 10 of us, do you want to elect your captains or do you want me to select them? And that was really interesting. Like, nobody said anything. We all, like, froze. Like, what does that mean? da 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 And... Um, we ended up saying, you select them. And we knew, we knew who one of them would be. It would be Alan Harrington. Alan was the best athlete in the school all the way through 12th grade. And, uh, and a friend and a good student, handsome, the whole thing. Um, but Coach Roberts said, okay, captains are going to be Alan Harrington and Mark DiCristino which blew me away. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be a captain. And obviously it was very affirming, and uh, I really appreciated it. Um, so fast forward, I didn't... And Anyway, that, that year in basketball was hugely formational. There's even another story I thought of in between services, but I'm not going to share it, from basketball. Um, but fast forward maybe a few weeks or a month, and we were running wind sprints, which are like when the coach ends practicing wind sprints, you already are feeling sick to your stomach before you're done, which is when you want to throw up. But um, wind sprints, for those that don't know in basketball, you start in the end line, you go just 15 feet to the foul line, touch the floor, come back, go to half court, touch the floor, come back, go to the far foul line, and then to the far end line. So four, increasingly long, and you're supposed to, like, work hard at it. 
And I usually did really well. I was pretty quick. And I also, you know, not good enough. I was really also trying to, to do well and to, to improve. And so this day, um, I was probably leading most of them and came, finished one after, I don't know, five or seven wind sprints. And Coach Roberts said from the side, sitting on the bench, Dee Christina, go to the showers. And honestly, I wanted to cry. And I said, not good enough, sir? And he said, good enough. Which began to dawn on me as I walked to the showers, you know, what he was saying. Um, influential voices. What are your influential voices? Words from influential people that maybe have landed. Or words you've said to yourself by interpreting or deducting from your experience or what people have said. So one for me, clearly, and we're not going to go into my complete psychological analysis this morning, um, was not good enough. You're not good enough. Not good enough. Another one I was thinking of this week is when I'm... Um, disappointed or frustrated or something doesn't go my way that I'm involved in, I very quickly say to myself, stupid idiot. And sometimes worse. Um, obviously, that's, that's not a word from an open heaven like we heard in the gospel today, right? Whether, whether it's literally coming from hell uh, I don't know. It probably is. It certainly is. It, it, the power of that word is certainly moving toward hell, right? But what about you? What are the voices? What are the words that have had impact? Now, they, they may not be something that just comes right to your mind. So I think part of what I, I think God wants to do today is to till this soil so that we become aware of what's inside us, what's like in our body, and our emotional, psychological system. When, when we say some words come from a father in an open heaven, and some words come from hell, we're, we, we are also speaking, on the other hand, right of the power of evil. And of the one who the New Testament, Jesus himself describes as a liar, as an accuser, as a deceiver. To move us to, into shame and self-contempt and separation from the God who made us and the God who loves us. And the sad thing is that those words not only impact us and separate us from the God who made and loves us, and from flourishing the way God intends, is those words actually seep through and filter through to the people in our lives. We may not say, in my case, you're not good enough, or you stupid idiot, literally, but you know what? Those ideas come through to the people I love. The voice, the, the words that we hear in the gospel today in Luke 
which we hear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all those uh, Gospels tell this story, are hugely influential. Um, Luke presents it as like, this is inaugurating Jesus in his ministry. The very next um, word says Jesus when he began his ministry. You know, right after the, the, the words from the Father. And we hear the same words, many of you know that. We, we hear this, we'll hear the same words at the end of Epiphany season when we have the transfiguration story. Jesus on the, mount, on the mountain talking with God. And again, those words come from heaven as he begins, literally he begins from that point, his journey to Jerusalem, to suffering and to death. Those words strengthened him, not just for his ministry, but for that ultimate mission of redemption and deliverance. So there's something fascinating about that next passage that I just referenced. And if you have a Bible, I would ask you to look here. So the very next section after what Deacon Dan just read for us, which ends, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, as I said, continues, Jesus when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of, and then there's, I, don't, I didn't count them, but there's got to be like at least 50 names there. The son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. When we were in, in Israel the first time, we went to this historical kind of archaeological site, and there was this old man there. I believe he was wanting to receive money, like alms or something. But he was like, I will recite for you Jesus' genealogy. It was unbelievable. He did. Like this whole thing here was, anyway, um, it's long. But do you see? So Matthew's genealogy, Matthew gives his genealogy right in the beginning in chapter 1 of Matthew. And when Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus, he starts with Abraham and moves all the way to Jesus. When Luke gives his genealogy, he approaches it a different way. He starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam. And do you see what it says there at the very end? The last words before the temptation in the wilderness... It says, the son of 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 Adam, the son of, have you ever noticed that before? The son of Adam, the son of God. Adam is being referred to here as the son of God. Now, so I was thinking about Adam's the only other person in history who didn't have a father. Jesus. And that got me thinking. It got me thinking about when Adam was made, when Eve was made. And was anything like what we see in the baptism story happening then? Now, scholars have connected the baptism story and the creation story over the years. You have the, you have the spirit fluttering over the waters which obviously we have in the baptism of Jesus story. And we know the baptism of Jesus is about new creation, the beginning of the new 
new creation. But what, what happened when God said, let us make humans in our image, and male and female, he created them. So we have in that liturgy of Genesis chapter 1, right? You remember, God creates and says it is good. And he continues this creation of forming, ordering the world, and then filling the world. And he says it is good. 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 And then when he makes humans, he says what? It is very good. Is that delight or what? It is very good. This is very... I wonder if in some way, out of God's heart, God did not say to Adam, the son of God, you are my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. It's very good. I'm suggesting that at the heart of God and intertwined with and supporting all of creation, God's will is that Humans know this heart, this word, that flows out of the very nature of God and God's relationship with God's self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we read the New Testament, when we read about Jesus, especially in John 14 to 17, and Jesus talks about, Father, I glory in you. Would you glory, glorify me? And the Holy Spirit glorifies me. There's this glory and this joy and this interrelationship that delights in each other, and that delight overflows in God's generosity in making all things, and especially those in his image, to care for what he's created. I, I love the refrain from Wendell's song, is it, it is good, that we sang at the Christmas Eve service, right? And the joy of the Lord in the work of his hands overflowed, and the maker proclaimed, it is good. It is good. You can't say that without a smile on your face. It is good. Come behold all I've made. It is good. In the baptism story, when it says, well pleased, that can be translated delight and even enjoy. I enjoy you. There is this overflow. There is this more than good enough, more than enough sense that's going on here. I believe it's a part of God's design for, again, the fabric of the universe, and especially like sort of, if you will, the DNA of being human, of being fully, truly human, is to know these words, this heart emanating from God. There are, I would suggest, three parts to this word we hear in, in Luke, and which we also hear in Matthew and Mark. So the way ours reads, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Literally, it's, it's you are my son, the beloved, in whom I delight, or in whom I'm well pleased. So you, you hear, I'm tweaking it out a little bit. You are my son, the beloved, or whom I love, which this is a fine translation, but I'm separating it out, uh, in whom I delight. Belonging, beloved, and delight. 
belonging, identity. You have a home. You're mine. You're with me. You're loved. You're loved. And what being loved means, God seems to be saying, is that I delight in you. I enjoy you. I'm pleased with you. It's not just, I think sometimes, like, intellectually, and really, this word is for down in here. This is not up here. Because many of us get it up here. We can answer the right question on the test. But it doesn't permeate, like, our feeling being and our relational being, if you will. But we can, we can maybe get, okay, I have a home. I have an identity. I have, a, I have a place. God claims me as God's own, right? I'm beloved. God really loves me. But when, when it says this thing about delight or joy or pleasure, that's, at least today, that's saying to me is, Beyond having a place, beyond being loved, your presence changes the atmosphere of this loving home in which you're welcome. Your presence, now, and think about, think about the, Jesus' stories about the prodigal father and the prodigal son, about the shepherd and the lost sheep, about the woman and her lost coin, right? Part of the movement of those stories is that when those lost things came home, what happened to the atmosphere? There was joy. There was delight. There was celebration. So there was value, but there was this like joy and delight and celebration. But because of sin and sins and self-centeredness, this heart of the Father, this voice from heaven doesn't land with us. We, we either can't hear it or we can't truly believe it deep in our being because our hearts are hard, because our minds are made up, right? Because our life is headed a certain way. And without some kind of baptism, without some kind of immersion in something way bigger than ourselves to soften and saturate our hearts. St. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, God has poured, poured His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. Ezekiel says, I will take away your hard heart and give you a soft heart and give my spirit within you. Need to wrap up. I have a little bit more to go. So in Acts 10, we read in that influential servant, sermon of Peter, he said, just this nutshell, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What is one of the ways the devil oppresses people. I would suggest the principal way. I already inferred it in the beginning of the sermon. Through lying, accusing, and deceiving. Through making us believe things about ourselves and our world 
that aren't true. And then we agree with it. We don't just think it, but something deep in our heart says, okay, yes, I am not good enough. I am a stupid idiot when it comes to these sorts of things. Now, that's a whole sermon in and of itself to explore that. Maybe we'll come back to that um, later in the year. Um, but suffice it to say, when we are baptized, like Jesus in the story here, we renounce some things. Of course, we repent of our sins, our self-centeredness, our choosing to trust in things besides God, including words that don't come from God. And we renounce Satan and all the powers of wickedness, and we renounce the world and all of its messages and all of its promises, right? We renounce those things. And in living a baptized life, we don't get baptized. We believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to say that in a minute. But we are called to live a baptized life. And when God shows something like you're, you're believing you're not good enough or he, you just called yourself a stupid idiot or fill in the blank for you. The invitation, the opportunity for freedom, for coming out of the dungeon, out of the darkness, is to identify that and specifically renounce and repent of it. It's a great thing to do in your quiet time, in your devotional time, to reflect through the day. Lord, where was I hearing from you and believing, and where, where were things that I was not? To reflect on that, reflect on our baptism, reflect on what's guiding our life. And like Jesus, Luke specifically says, this voice came while he was praying. He was baptized, and while he was praying, heaven opened and a voice came. And so along with reflecting and being aware of your life and what's going on, I would suggest in taking some time in prayer and listening. How often do I listen? Not that often. Like, really take a couple of minutes just to be quiet. Lord, what might you say to me? So Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River in John's baptism, right? Which was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He wasn't repenting of his sins. He was repenting with his people. And he was plunging himself and beginning to take on, even in that, that's the beginning of his passion, I would suggest. And he begin in that place, he's beginning to take on himself all the lies, the accusations, and deceptions. But he's the only human being for whom they didn't throw him off course and separate him from the Father. And ultimately on the cross, he takes all the wickedness, all the hate, all the lie, all the accusation in his body, in his mind, on that tree to put it away. 
so that we who identify with him, we who join ourselves with him, hear the Father's voice to him and through him as the Father's delight and song for all humanity. You belong. You're beloved. You're a delight. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. The world needs to hear that. You belong. You're beloved. You're a delight. Now that's good. Very good.